force is strong with him. He is to be trained then? No. He will not be trained. No. He is too old. He is the chosen one. You must see it. Hmm. Clouded this boy's future is. I will train him then. I take Anakin as my Padawan learner. An apprentice you have, Qui-Gon. Impossible to take out a second. The code forbids it. Obi-Wan is ready. I am ready to face the trials. Our own counsel we will keep on who is ready. He is headstrong, and he has much to learn of the living force, but he is capable. There is little more he can learn from me. Young Skywalker's fate will be decided later. Now is not the time for this. The Senate is voting for a new Supreme Chancellor, and Queen Amidala is returning home, which will put pressure on the Federation and could widen the confrontation. And draw out the Queen's attacker. Go with the Queen to Naboo and discover the identity of this dark warrior. This is the clue we need to unravel the mystery of the Sith. May the Force be with you. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 498, Why We Love the Phantom Menace. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Qui-Gon Jinn. To my Jar Jar Binks, we have Carl LeClaire. The ability to speak does not make you intelligent. Now get out of here. No, no, Misa, stay. Misa called Jar Jar Binks. Misa want to record the podcast. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. We're marching to 500 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Jason, time to dive into the be- most beautiful sea of Autogunga, the prequel trilogy. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about our march to 500 episodes. And it's been a while since we've talked Phantom Menace. So I, I kind of was like, oh, it's nice to come back to this. Uh, I was very excited, you know, getting ready to write my notes and and all of this for tonight. So yeah, I I am too. And 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 for everybody uh, who's with us, um, like Jason mentioned, we are continuing kind of this this series of why we love particular Star Wars movies. Again, our our combined top five Star Wars movies as we make our way to Episode Five Hundred in just two weeks. Jason, just two weeks from tonight. We will be recording I know. our 500th episode of the show, which is super exciting. Um, but like you said, I'm I'm so so pumped to be talking about episode one. It's it's been a minute since we've talked about Phantom Menace. Absolutely ecstatic to to dive into a conversation around uh, this absolutely phenomenal Star Wars movie. It it really is, and and I think um, I think it's definitely. 
aged well uh, since it came out in 1999. It's it's definitely uh, obviously my enjoyment of it has never waned since I saw it as a kid uh, in the movie theater four times that year, um, <laughs> which was a big deal for me. That was the first time I'd seen a, a movie multiple I, times four in the times. theater. Yeah, I think I think I saw I, it four I, times in the theater. I think I only saw it twice. Um, and not because I didn't want to go more, but I was, you know, I think I was, I was 13 years old. I was bound by my parents. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I saw it. We saw it opening weekend. I saw it again for my birthday. Uh, we talked my grandma into taking us and then it was still, it was in the dollar theater at Halloween. Uh, so we went to go see it on Halloween as well. And it was really great because uh, the, uh, the staff was dressed up, and the guy taking our tickets was dressed as Darth Maul, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, really funny. Uh, so, yeah. That's I, all, I also like, that. how cool is that? That movie came out in mid May of 1999, and still on October 31st, it was still in a theater. Now, granted, yes, like a small, probably, you know, dollar theater, but that's, wow, my math's bad. Hold on. That's, that's six months. At, that's yeah, six that's almost months six months yeah. running in a theater. That's pretty darn impressive. You don't, I mean, that's rare that that happens anymore today. Absolutely, yeah. Everything, everyone's just like, all right, let's get it on streaming already. Uh, but back then, you could have a movie in the theater for four or five months if it was really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was. That's so cool, man. Those are. Those days are long gone. Wow. <laughs> Got me reminiscing there. As, uh, as Bruce Springsteen said, the glory days. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so as we've been doing all along with this particular Why We Love series, we've we've each come up with about five things per movie about what it is we love about each of these subsequent movies. And today we'll look at what is it about Phantom Menace that we love so much? The themes, moments, memories, Anything that fills in that gap. So, uh, Jason, you're going to do the honors this week by kicking off this conversation about why we love Phantom Menace. Absolutely. And uh, the first thing I want to bring up is the end of the movie. Well, the end, <laughs> like, chunk of the movie. Um, Let's start the, the at the final, end. <laughs> yes, we're going to start at the end. We're going to absolutely flip the script. Um, But no, I want to talk about the end battle sequence, Uh, starting from the Gungans in the mist all the way to uh, the the bisection of Darth Maul. And I I think I've always really enjoyed the final battle sequence of uh, the Phantom Menace. And it does. It's the. The one Star Wars movie that comes the closest to what Return of the Jedi was able to do in terms of, you know, multiple different, you know, battle sequences cutting back and forth together. Um, And it was the one that got the closest to the perfection that is Return of the Jedi, in my opinion. Um, It's uh, it starts off as a three part battle. We got the Gungans out there. We got the assault on the capital of Theed. Then we get the Darth Maul duel of the fates with uh, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Maul. Uh, and then, of course, we add in the space battle as well. So it almost it ends up being four parts that just sort of cut back together. And I enjoy all of them. Uh, so uh, I wish we had a little bit more space battle, personally, uh, because I, I, I love watching the Naboo starfighters in mm. action. But uh, having having all of these different 
uh, battles and having a different character or multiple characters that we've, you know, grown to know and enjoy throughout the movie to follow in each of these uh, circumstances definitely helps with, you know, getting us invested in all of them. Obviously, you got Jar Jar and the planes of Naboo. Uh, you've got Amidala and the Naboo as they launch their assault on the palace. Anakin's up in space with R2-D2. And then, of course, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are fighting Darth Maul. Uh, and obviously, the, the Duel of the Fates is one of the uh, choreographic highlights of the entire prequel trilogy, maybe even the entire saga. Um, so that's always a spectacular sight to see. But they, I never get bored. Mm. watching watching this end battle um and and i think it cuts the edits are definitely uh well crafted to keep the action moving and to keep your attention uh it never lets you get too overwhelmed with one thing before it switches to something else but it always keeps you on the edge of your seat and you know definitely ramps up tension like like it's supposed to as we get towards the end uh, and everyone is sort of like, are they going to make it uh, all at the same time? You know, mm. Jar Jar getting captured. Anakin's crash landed on the droid ship. Padme's captured by Newt Gunray again. Um, and then, of course, uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are separated and then Qui-Gon gets cut down. So uh, and then, of course, we get the, the victories for all of them. And it's great. So. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed the the end battles and the the way that they put it together. I think, as I said, is the best end battle sequence aside from Return of the Jedi. It's the one that gets the closest to the perfection that is Return of the Jedi. <laughs> it's it's a great end battle, and, and I think comparing it to the Return of the Jedi end battle is 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 so on point, being that it's this kind of multi front. Uh, the sequence and then it's almost like george saw return of the jedi and he's like well, let's add one more sequence um right because right because we, exactly. we get four instead of three uh but yeah it's it's just so much fun and and the way that everything right i mean it's typical george lucas storytelling everything kind of hits the same beats they all get they all have their lows at the same point they have their highs at the same point um it's just tremendous fun and i think it, it has a little bit of everything, you know, um, mm-hmm. y- you've got the fun, you've got the fun infiltrating the enemy fort with, uh, you know, a- Amidala and, and Panaka. You've got the fun, big open gra- ground battle with the Gungans. You get a, a really fun uh, space fight. But I, I'm with you, Jason. I wish we had a little bit more of that. Um, and then we have the debatably most epic duel in Star Wars, um, which I'll say more about later. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 it is tremendous fun. The the entire Battle of Naboo. Yeah, and plus you know you get Duel of the Fates and a lot of other great musics, you know, yeah. spread out throughout the entire uh, sequence. So that's always a highlight uh, for me. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But what about you? What's uh, what's the first thing you want to bring up? I got to go like I've been doing with a lot of these episodes, Jason's. I got to start with just the memory section, um, the hype. That, that's what I'm calling it. The hype of Phantom Menace is like it was like nothing I'd ne- ever known before. And I think 
as awesome as the hype was for Force Awakens, I think I still think Phantom Menace might have it beat. And maybe part of that is is being 13 years old as opposed to like 20 whatever I was, you know, late 20s. No, I guess I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Right? Like there's a big age gap there. So of course, there was a different level of excitement for Phantom Menace. Um and uh yeah, I I I really just I feel like that's that's where we've got to start is just talking about uh, the hype around the movie itself. And uh, I actually want to play a quick clip here. This is from MTV's TRL, uh, where they're interviewing people outside before premiering the Get This Y'all music video for Duel of the Fates, which was on Total Request Live's top list for several weeks on MTV. To give a listen to this. We came all the way from Michigan to New York City with a group of college students. And instead of going to the bar last night... We went to Toys R Us to get some Star Wars toys. Are you kidding me? You are such a geek, Stacey. Yeah, I am a geek. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you because I'm a geek, too. That is great. What you got? We got new lightsabers. Stacey's working the crowd. Did you get the the, uh, the groovy double-edged? Double-edged sword. Those are badass. They're awesome. I'm going to have to stock up on those. So you're ready to check a third look at the uh, the Star Wars video. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Are you guys ready? Yeah! Very well. Let's take another look. The London Symphony Orchestra conducted by John Williams. This is Duel of the Fates. The following. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> I just love it. Oh, That's man. That's pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> I miss the late 90s, man, when everybody was just wearing baggy jeans. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, Phantom Menace, just, it, it just, there was an electricity in in our culture right as as this movie was coming out um i'd only been a star wars fan for about four years it was so exciting to just think like wow i'm getting i'm gonna get a star wars trilogy now too right like i mean i inherit i felt like i inherited the original trilogy right like i got into star wars late 94 early 95 was introduced to the original trilogy but again it, it felt like something you know like ben kenobi handed me a lightsaber it it never really belonged to me. This was mine, right? And it was yours too, Jason, right? Mm-hmm. This was your yes. introduction to Star Wars. I mean, you'd, you'd seen the special editions two years prior, but right off the cusp of that, right? You're also diving into this whole new trilogy as, I mean, I was 13. You were yeah. what? Probably nine because we're a few years apart. Uh, uh, yeah, I was turning 10. Yeah. So, right, like it was just, it was just, there was this electricity in the air. You couldn't help but feel it. Um, and things like, I mean, I was 13, I was watching TRL on MTV. I was, I was all into like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And then all of a sudden there's Star Wars, you know, a Star Wars music video. And it was so great. And, and like they insinuate in that clip too, the Phantom Menace was our first ever midnight madness type event, right? Where Toys R Us is opened all across the country at midnight to premiere the, the Phantom Menace action figures, um, and I know I've told this story uh, on the show in the past, but of course my mother wouldn't let me go to Toys R Us at midnight. So I didn't get to go to Toys R Us until <laughs> a couple days after. I think she let me go on a Friday after school to get some of the figures. Um, but right, like there was just, there was just all this anticipation. You got the, 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 the soundtrack about two months before the movie came out, which of course <laughs> had the most ridiculous title track in Qui-Gon's noble end. <laughs> Yeah. Right, so like nothing like spoiling the death of a character in the title of a soundtrack piece, but there was there was just so much goodness like feeding that hype train for the Phantom Menace, um, and I was I was all in, Jason. I was like, yes, I'm ready for this new trilogy. I'm ready to have a Star Wars story of my own, um, and 
you know, from the toys coming out early, the, the, the music, the, the Pepsi cans, the Taco Bell toys, like all of these things just reminded you Star Wars is coming back. Won't you play along? And Phantom Menace was that introduction to that. Um, and I'd be remiss to not retell my f- one of my favorite Star Wars memories was when I went to Phantom Menace. And again, I did not go to a midnight premiere because my mom wouldn't let me. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain I probably went that Friday and finally get in, get into our seats. The trailers finally start and somebody just shouts, the first transport is away. And the entire theater just started cheering and screaming. I had never in my entire life, now granted I was 13, but in my 13 short years, I had never had an experience like that in a movie theater. And to be honest, Jason, I haven't really had one since. Force Awakens was exciting, but it wasn't this. Um, And I think think for a, a lot of reasons is... Um, well, it doesn't really matter why Phantom Menace was up in the air of whether or not it was ever going to come out. I think, I think force awakens in a way was a bigger surprise. Cause I think when George finished revenge of the Sith, we all thought star Wars was done. So force awakens had a different level of excitement, but at the same time, like, man, just, just being in that crowded theater and people cheering along and all those plastic lightsabers waving in the air. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, if you've never seen the movie Fanboys by uh, directed by uh, Kyle Newman, right? Kyle Newman. I almost said, uh, yeah, <laughs> I almost said Kyle Avery, our friend. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, he would love it. He, he would. The director yeah. of that. He'd be uh, very, very happy with that. That movie, though, that, that final scene of the movie where they're in the theater waiting for the premiere of Phantom Menace, the elect, they capture perfectly the electricity of what it was like to be in a theater in, the, in on those mid May days of 1999. Uh, it was, it was awesome. I'm so glad that you mentioned just the hype because it was everywhere. Like, and it started in like January. Uh, it was all over the place. You couldn't go to the grocery store, the convenience store, without seeing something Star Wars plastered somewhere. Uh, it was all over the Lay's potato chips. Like you said, it was the Pepsi cans. Uh, and you had to collect all of them to get like 24 different characters. I never got all of them. Um, <laughs> I was very upset. Um, I, I had like maybe 17 of them, I think. Uh I don't remember if we still I have definitely those had anywhere. them all. I remember I remember I had them all and I had lined them all up. We had a little treehouse in our backyard and I lined them all up in there. And I remember uh we, it attracted a lot of flies because after I finished each can of Pepsi, I didn't rinse them out, so there was still like that bit of sugar at the bottom. So there were all these flies in there one day and my older brother was really mad at me. He's like, "I told you you should have rinsed these cans out." And I was like, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, the, the literally the merchandising was everywhere. You couldn't avoid it. You yeah. If you by the time the the premiere happened, if you didn't know Star Wars was happening, you were literally living under a rock. Um and someone had blindfolded you and prevented you from listening to the TV or the radio. Um <laughs> like the what was what was it? The Water Boy uh, had yeah. the trailer that came out yep. that said, "If you only see one movie this summer, see Star Wars. If you see two, come see Water Boy." You know, like that was part of their marketing. Yeah. Um. You know, so it was. 
it was that kind of insanity. I, and it was, I remember articles in our local newspaper in the lead up to the movie. And then in the aftermath of the movie coming out, there was just, you know, full like page in the, the culture and arts section. There was just full page articles and pictures about all of this stuff to do with star Wars. And I've still got some of them somewhere. Um, but yeah, the, the hype was absolutely insane, and there will never be anything like that again. Um, es- especially now that Disney has it, and there's new things all the time. Yeah. All right. there, yeah. there is a specialness in having to wait for things. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, and, and even, like you said, the hype for the, the Force Awakens was pretty big. But, you know, it, was, it wasn't to the level of the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And... You know, like I said, that that was lightning in a bottle. That was as close yep. to recapturing the feeling of Star Wars Mania in 1977 as you will ever get. Um, was 1999, and I, I obviously can't speak to this 90s, uh, 1977 um, sweeping the country because I was not alive at the time. But 99 will never happen again. Not even not for Star Wars. Not for anything. So, yeah. Um, but. Great. Well, what is the next thing you want to mention for Phantom Menace? Well, uh, at a risk of uh, sounding repetitive for the last couple of these episodes, um, I'm going to say the music um, again. <laughs> uh, but the music for the Phantom Menace is quite possibly you know has quite possibly some of my favorite tracks ever uh including my favorite piece of star wars music of all time uh and i have to include the converse the the music as a a reason why i love the phantom menace in this podcast because and i've said this a few times i think the soundtrack for the phantom menace is the reason i started listening to movie scores and classical music and it is the reason why I developed this type of music as my favorite genre of, of music. So, uh, ha- you know, I was gifted the soundtrack for my birthday. Um, and I listened to it repeatedly that entire summer. Um, it was on repeat. There were times where my mom would say, okay, you need to let someone else use the CD player. Um, we can't listen to the Phantom Menace all day long. Um, and to which I would say that's not fair, uh, but she was mom. So I had to listen. Um, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it is completely inspired, uh, an enjoyment of classical music, orchestral score, movie soundtracks. This genre of, of music, uh, is completely inspired. It, it has become my favorite because of the Phantom Menace score um and and the way it it impacted the movie experience for me uh obviously duel of the fates is my favorite piece of music from the score and more often than not is my favorite piece of music in all of star wars uh so uh, obviously these these favorites fluctuate from time to time depending on our moods or or what we're really into at the moment but duel of the fates uh has man has staying power <laughs> at the top of my list for a long, long time. And it's in large part due to nostalgia. 
because, you know, it was the first thing that kind of opened my mind to just like the, the spectacular range of what, what music could do in terms of storytelling and just in terms of, of the listening experience. So, uh, yeah, I, the music for the Phantom Menace, definitely the best score for the prequels, uh, in my opinion, and the total inspiration for why I love this kind of music. Hmm. You know, Jason, I did not make this, and I, 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 I'm almost embarrassed. I didn't make it one of my my things on the list, but I'm so glad that you mentioned it explicitly. Um, I think conversation about the music is going to come kind of, it's going to percolate through some of the things I mentioned, but I love that you gave it its standalone moment because I'm with you. I think uh, the deluxe edition episode one soundtrack that we got, right? That's, that's the entire mo- movie music sequence in order chronologically. That's probably my favorite Star Wars recording of music. Um, as, mm. as much as Empire is probably my favorite soundtrack, just almost because of its its strong nostalgic reasons, um, that CD is definitely the most listened to album of mine when it comes to Star Wars. Uh, it, the The music that John Williams created for this movie is absolutely stunning. The way he obviously brings back some of the familiar themes, but creates all these beautiful new ones. Like you said, duel of the fates. I mean, the fact that I got a music video is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I am, I for one love the romantic theme of Anakin's theme, uh, you know, kind of just kind of the beauty of it, the simplicity of it. Uh, John Williams really, really captures the tone of the movie with this music. It's, it's light, it's fun, it's hopeful. Um, yeah, it's it's everything that the Phantom Menace is, and these are some of the points I'm going to make uh, as we kind of continue our conversation. But I'm really glad mm-hmm. you you mentioned it explicitly, and and like I mentioned a moment ago, right? The, we got we got the soundtrack released uh, about a month before the movie came out, um, and I remember getting in the mail because I'm pretty sure it was because I was in the Star Wars Insider fan club. Uh, I got a you know a three by five postcard in the mail of just basically the 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 Phantom Menace movie poster, but it was promoting the soundtrack and it said, get it, get it while you can premiering in April, whatever the date was. I I should look that up. But um, I remember just getting that the day it came out and just listening to that thing on repeat and repeat and repeat. Um, It was so, so good. Uh, So yeah, definitely worth mentioning how awesome the score is in this movie, Jason. Um, Absolutely. And, And I'm, I'm looking up, uh well, the soundtrack album for the Phantom Menace was released May fourth, oh, but you probably course. through the fan club got it early. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Maybe maybe I got the thing in April, saying May fourth, and that was before May fourth was what it is today, right? I mean, I don't I don't remember May fourth being Star Wars Day in nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> so it wasn't, as yeah. far as I know. Yeah, um, I don't think so it, either. If it was, it passed me by. Yeah, so. <laughs> same here. And it could have been right, but maybe I just wasn't plugged in at the time. Uh, but I also don't remember that for either subsequent movie of the prequels. So uh, no. I, I feel like it's become much bigger in the last decade. Um, Anyway, Definitely. that's a separate issue. That not issue. That's a separate topic. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, it is an issue. It's totally an issue. And we need to find a way to solve it, Carl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, the next thing I want to mention is 
I love Shmi's Homestead. Uh, this is one of my favorite things about Phantom Menace. Now, um, this is obviously a very Carl type thing to mention, and uh, that's yes. that's very okay. Uh, I love it. What I love about the time we get to spend in Shmi's house is that it provides a very explicit sense of being home. Um, right. One, this is this is a topic I love in in all any sort of story. If there's a story that has a home base, if you will, I'm always attracted to that space because home spaces represent a place that people can be safe. They feel safe. They feel comfortable. It's where thoughts, desires, and passions are expressed. That's that's what home base provides for you. Um, you know, the original trilogy had the Millennium Falcon. That's that's what the Falcon was. It was this safe space our heroes could be together and talk about their hopes and dreams and fears. Uh, Shmi's homestead. There's just something about it. And again, it's part of it is the music, the music that sets the stage for these scenes when we're in Shmi's house. There's just something about it that makes you feel rooted to those moments. It makes you feel like you belong there because I think that's what Shmi creates in that space. She creates this space of belonging that anybody's welcome. (laughs) The moment they come in, you know, these are my friends, mom, your son was kind enough to provide a shelter, (laughs) right? Like just these (laughs) rando strangers, um, strolling into her house. And her only response is one of hospitality. She gives them a meal. She Mm -hmm. gives them a safe place to be. And at this point in the story, I mean, it's ultimately the middle of the movie. They've been on the run for the, the first half of the movie, and they can finally settle down. And what happens when they settle down? It's revealed to Anakin what they're actually after. It's revealed that Anakin has some sort of special ability. Um, you know, this is where things start to – this is where character motivations start to happen because, again, of the the home base mentality that Shmi provides. Um it, that that scene over lunch, you know, uh, where Anakin basically says to to his mom, he calls her out. He says, "Listen, you always said the the biggest problem is nobody helps each other. That's all he wants to do because that's yeah. what this space has provided for him is is that you know uh, an encouragement to help others in need. Um, and Shmi models that by the way she welcomes people into her home, um, and. I think something else I really love about it is just the way Anakin exists here. Um, this is a boy who's built his own droid. He's built, he's building his own pod racer while he is in fact an enslaved person, which is a horrible reality. Somehow in this horrible, dire situation, it still feels like a peaceful place. Um, right. And, uh, I, 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 that's all credit to Shmi. That's that's the type of space Shmi creates. Um, and and one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, of course, the scene when Anakin and Qui Gon are chatting on the back the back balcony. Jason, <laughs> uh, I forgot that yep. this is also a balcony yep. scene. And Anakin is amazed at all the stars in the galaxy. He wants to be the first one to see them all. It's this it's this space in which. It, even even though he is Watto's property, Anakin because of his home life feels that he's allowed to dream for something more. Um, so I, I, I love that all these really beautifully intimate moments happen in Shmi's homestead. They help me feel anchored in the story. They make me invested in these characters and what they're after. Um, the movie has kind of been moving in the state of a MacGuffin up to this, right? Like we've got to, we've got to rescue the queen and get her to the, to the capital. But now all of a sudden depth starts to happen. 
at, at Shmi's homestead. So uh, that's one of my favorite things about Phantom Menace. Well, it, and not only is it her home that feels homey, it, it her home feels homey because it, it's a slave hovel. It, 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 it's, you know, a small hole in the wall, essentially, that's, you know, has a whole bunch of other probably identical homes stacked up all around it, you know. Uh, but it's home because that's what Shmi makes it. Shmi is almost the sense of home more than her home is, mm. you know, and I'm so glad that you, you brought up, you know, Shmi in this way, um, because I've got something I want to talk about that it, it didn't quite cover. It didn't fit to put her in there, but I wanted to make sure I talked about her because she is such a pivotal and impactful and amazing character in this movie. Um, but you know, it's, it's her, her strength, her, uh, the, the way that she fosters, um, the desire and the, the imagination and the, the dreams of, of her child to believe that it's possible to go out and, and do these things uh, and not only, you know, go out and, and achieve, you know, amazing unimaginable things like becoming a Jedi, you know, it's like, all right, well, you like these other things. Well, you like putting things together. You like tools and me- mechanical stuff. So why don't you, why don't you build something? You know, it's, it's not like one of those things. Well, you know, you might hurt yourself if you start playing with tools. You know, so maybe you shouldn't do that until you're older. No, he's like nine years old. He's already built a protocol droid. He's <laughs> building a pod racer. You know, she, I'm sure there was a lot of conversation about how to use it properly. Um, but, you know, she, she's encouraged him and, and allowed him his freedom to within that home mm-hmm. to explore things and to do things. Um, because while they may not be legally free, she can provide a sense of freedom for him there. Mm. And, yeah. and that, that allows him in particular, but both of them to be able to kind of look up and, and see hope in the world. So, yeah, that's, I, I love the way you express that Jason, that she gives him the freedom to exist there, mm-hmm. even though he's yeah. not f- actually free. Um, but by giving him that taste of it, he can dream for it. I, I love that. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the next thing I wanted to bring up is, is, you know, the thing that would have been weird to squeeze me into. So, um, uh, I love, one of the things I love about the Phantom Menace is the supporting cast of alien characters that we mm. get, um, all throughout this movie. Obviously, you know, Jar Jar, maybe not technically a supporting character. He's more of a prime of a, of a major character. Uh, but we also have a uh, new Gunray. We've got Wado, boss Nas, captain Tar. We've got all these alien characters. You could obviously, you know, throw in uh, Yoda and Kiari Mundi uh, as well because they show up and they they have several talking scenes um, in the movie as well. But there's a supporting cast of alien characters that we get introduced to and see repeatedly throughout the entire movie. Uh, they're they're pivotal. They're entertaining. You know, Watto is just a great character. I, I love him. He, he's a obviously a you know, a terrible miser and, you know, owns slaves. Uh, so there's that aspect to him. But 
in terms of you know just a, a movie character, he's a fantastic character, and I and I love having him in there. Um, Jar Jar is one of my favorite characters of all time, you know. But that's <laughs> I, I do. There's know. a lot of person. <laughs> yes, uh, as everyone should know that by now. If you've been listening to this podcast for any you know significant length of time. Um, but obviously, and Newt Gunray always just amuses me. I love Newt Gunray. Uh, he's he's a great uh, middle manager villain, um, <laughs> and uh, just sort of the go between the the scaredy cat go between for the the real bad guy who's hiding in the shadows the whole time. Um, and then, of course, you know, fleshing out the Gungans with you know, obviously you got Jar Jar is the main Gungan we we meet. But you've also got all these other Gungans, including Boss Nas and Captain Tarpoles. Uh, so we kind of get a, a, a nice variety of of this other civilization that exists on Naboo um, in conjunction with the, the humans that, you know, officially rule the planet, if you will. I don't know. Uh, their, their relationship is tenuous, shall we say, <laughs> um, at the time. But... Uh, yeah, I, I love the fact that we have all of these different aliens uh, sprinkled throughout the entire movie. And you can't really get a scene. It's hard to get a scene in this movie where there isn't an alien present. Uh, and There isn't an alien having conversation somewhere uh, mm-hmm. with someone else. So, and I think that's a spectacular thing. And, you know, obviously... Uh, one of our big complaints about some of the Disney Plus series is lack of aliens. Mm. Uh, there's not that in the Phantom Menace, that's for sure. So, um, but yeah, I, I've always just enjoyed the fact that we get all these different characters, and they're all fully formed in their own ways. Uh, that that makes them unique and interesting. If you want to take the time to get to know them, and obviously, I have. So um, I am invested in a lot of these characters and uh, I always get a grin and a smile on my face when they grace my screens. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I've always been a fan of, of the aliens and that's why one of the reasons why I love the Phantom Menace. So. Yeah, that's such uh, I love that point, Jason. Um, and I'll make a point about this in a, in a little bit, uh, a little bit later, but I think part of what is so great about Phantom Menace is the fact that this is this is the galaxy well before the dark times. And I think the dark times mm-hmm. is where you do start to see less aliens because Palpatine wants to keep them at bay. Um, so here in this movie, you've got, you know, the movers and the shakers for the most part are, I don't want to say completely, but a lot of them are aliens, right? Um, they're, they're, they're very integral to the, to the story here. You know, boss Nass is incredibly important. Watto is incredibly important. Newt Gunray is incredibly important. Um, and these are characters that by the time we get to the original trilogy, they just, there's not really aliens in a place of leadership really until you get to return of the Jedi with Akbar. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the aliens are kind of pushed to the periphery. Um, but in Phantom Menace, it's a very diverse galaxy of species that interact and weave together. And, and I love the way that Phantom Menace does that. Um, so, you know, again, whether it, I, I think it's more by accident than design. But again, I think part of the reason that that's not true in the, the original trilogy, I think on a practical level is because they didn't have the money to probably invest in tons of prosthesis and, and, and costumes. So they're a little bit more right. limited. 
Um, but I think which also is, can, which is why the Disney shows won't have as many. You know, right. one of the reasons why they won't. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that's one of the things in Phantom Menace that I also really appreciate is just the diversity of alien uh, uh, characters and and you get a, a window into some even even though the Gungans are the only ones we explicitly kind of get to spend some time with and we get a little bit of sense of their culture and society um, you get a li- at least a sensibility about some of the other aliens um, as well uh, they 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 feel like living, breathing characters. Because again, like it, yeah, like you and I have both mentioned, a massive indictment I have of Disney Star Wars is when there are alien creatures, they tend to just be in the background. They seldom, especially in the Disney Plus series, they seldom have any sort of import to the story, um, which I, right. I can't say enough how much I that drives me crazy. <laughs> um, you, want, you want to make me not feel like I'm in a Star Wars story? Get rid of aliens. Oh, thank you, Andor. Um, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's a that's an absolutely brilliant point about Phantom Menace is 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 the importance of these alien uh, creatures. Or I shouldn't say creatures; these, these alien characters. Yeah, yeah, and that, I would have to go scene by scene to find you know ones where there aren't aliens in them. I mean, I think maybe Obi Wan and Qui Gon talking about you know, the trade federation at the very beginning when it's just the two of them in the room with the droid, maybe that's it. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Um, Oh, and then of course, you know, when it's just Qui-Gon and Shmi and Anakin, but yeah, Mm, yeah, you can't go more than just a few minutes without having aliens talking on screen. So (laughs) yeah, you're not wrong about that. Um, What's the next one for you? uh, I want to talk about Qui-Gon and the Jedi. Um, definitely one of the best parts of Phantom Menace to me is getting to see the Jedi kind of in their prime, if you will. Um, although I would almost say this is kind of towards their decline rather than prime. Uh, I think that's the point of the high Republic era, right? These stories are meant to be the golden age of the Republic and the Jedi. Um, so when we get to Phantom Menace, they kind of... They aren't in decline yet, but they're on the precipice, I would say, right? They, they can't really get yeah. any higher, right? When we meet the Jedi in this movie as, as an institutional order, they're in the spire at the capital planet of the galaxy. They are liaisons with both the Senate and the Chancellor. They have this close relationship with the, the government of the Republic, um, right? So they're, they're so intertwined with that. Um, and they're a very dogmatic order. Um, and, and I would argue they're incredibly limited because of that. You know, I think uh, the Jedi that we meet in, in The Phantom Menace, while well-established and have uh, a pretty big reach in the galaxy, um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're limited by themselves. You know, uh, their their in, insistence to the code, to the dogma, and to the doctrine is exactly what is setting them up for failure. Um, and I think uh, what I think George is purposely getting at something with the the Jedi Order here in the Phantom Menace. I think, in part, um, you know, we we talked we talked about this very extensively uh, back in August when we had. Um, Dawood on the show talking about kind of the different manifestations of the force in the different eras of Star Wars. I think part of what George was doing with the story about the Jedi and Phantom Menace is 
he's saying something about spirituality and religion. I think he's ultimately offering a, a soft indictment of Western Christianity. Uh, I think he's looking at kind of this this these churches that are over reliant on dogma and doctrine and being very exclusionary and keeping people out. Uh, and he's and he indicts that with Phantom Menace, rightfully so, in my opinion, um, and is basically saying when you become so obsessed with the code, with the letter of the law, you start to forget why you exist. And I think that's that's the problem with the Jedi. And so then you throw in Qui-Gon Jinn, in my opinion, the best Jedi of the prequel era in, in the movies, at least. And what makes him the best is the simple fact that he is the most Jedi at his core because he follows the will of the force. The Jedi Council follows the will of the Republic and the will of the Council. It doesn't particularly follow the will of the Force. That's where mm-hmm. Qui-Gon – and calling Qui-Gon a maverick is almost ridiculous. Like he's not a maverick. He's actually just being a Jedi. <laughs> um, the problem is there's folks like Mace Windu and Kiedi Mundi. Um, you know, they're the problem, not Qui-Gon. Uh, so I love Qui-Gon's just flippancy with the council, his flippancy with the rules. Um, but I also really appreciate that he still chooses to exist within the order, right? He doesn't, he doesn't condemn it and walk away like his own master eventually is going to do. Um, but he chooses to stay in it with the simple assumption of, I'm just going to keep doing my thing until they kick me out. <laughs> you know, it's almost the mentality that Qui-Gon yeah. gives you is he is so focused on the living force uh, that that is what guides everything he does. Um, and also this whole idea of the will of the force that that is introduced in Phantom Menace. I mean, I, I love the Phantom Menace is the only prequel movie that really does anything with the mythology and spirituality of the force. Um, right. Yeah. By by giving us this concept of a will of the force, this concept of a living force, uh, of course, this prophecy of a chosen one. So Qui-Gon is while the order is so focused on order, it's so focused on governance and and how to live rightly in society. Qui-Gon's focus is on the force and what is the will of the living force. Um, and that's why, to me, he's the best Jedi of that era. Um and uh, yeah, it's he, he's guided by compassion for the will of the force, something that the yeah. the order is 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 very much lacking. So I love that that these really intricate and important important points are brought into this movie, um, because again, I think they're timely for the late '90s and early 2000s with what's sort of going on in in organized Western religion at the time. Is there's there's a lot of there's just a lot of toxicity in those traditions and George is kind of pushing back against it in a way by telling this story, by telling the story of when, when these spiritual institutions become too institutionalized, they start failing. And that's why you need people like Qui-Gon who are there kind of paying attention to what is at the heart of these things. Um, so that's what I love about Qui-Gon is uh, he's there to just keep doing what he knows to be right and the order be damned. He doesn't care. Um, you know, so yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite things about Phantom Menace. Yeah. And, and here's the interesting thing. Well, well, yes, I do agree that the Jedi order and uh, the Jedi council in particular are, are really, they've gotten themselves into an interdependence on the Republic, uh, that Palpatine is about to just completely exploit uh, for the Clone Wars and and destroy them from the inside uh, with the Clone Wars. 
you know, and and it is people like you said, Mace Windu and Kiati Mundi, who really are are dogmatic in the way that they apply the Jedi Code uh, in everything they do. Now, there is a place for for preserving, you know, those kinds of codes, but it has to be flexible with with someone like Qui-Gon. You know, you have there has to be a nice balance between all of this. You can't just have on the one hand, you can't have every Jedi be like Qui-Gon because then there's no cohesion. Uh, but you can't have everyone be like Kiati Mundi and Mace Windy because then there's no flexibility and no compassion. Mm. Um, so there has to be a mixture of them. And I, I think Yoda is kind of straddling that mm. in the prequels. Yep. Um, but Qui-Gon is definitely, uh, his favorability is on the outs at the time. That's for <laughs> sure. Uh, even, and, uh, but his devotion is to obviously the will of the force, but to the tenets of the Jedi, they're what they're supposed to stand for, not necessarily their code. Mm, um, right. And, and I think that's an important distinction for Qui-Gon because he is dedicated to the Jedi order. He's not just a, you know, it's the force and only the force and the Jedi be damned. I'll work within the Jedi. He is dedicated to the Jedi order. Uh, but he's dedicated to the tenets of the order, not the code specifically. So, um, you know, sort of a, a more broad, overarching, foundational thing than just the here's the updated, uh, you know, series of, of code that we have for this uh, this session of the council. Uh, everyone, learn it and get it all updated for your your practice. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing, um, but yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you brought in the the Jedi and Qui Gon in particular. I didn't they didn't end up making my list this time, which is weird. Um, but I figured you had it on your list, so I was <laughs> I felt safe, I'm safe. in leaving yeah. it off. Um, but yeah, because it, it, the the thing about the Phantom Menace, and you know, obviously Qui Gon is the best Jedi in the prequels, and he. The way he operates impacts Yoda and Obi-Wan into how they develop by the time we meet them again in the original trilogy. Um, it, it is his influence and the way that he operated that really becomes enduring and becomes the reason the Jedi are able to survive to Luke Skywalker and be, you know, and return in Return of the Jedi. Um, but yeah, the, the, having all of this is, is great because it, it gives us a nice sort of like foundation for then what gets completely torn down in the subsequent prequel movies uh, by Palpatine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the fact that Qui Gon is killed in the Phantom Menace, uh, it really is sort of like a, a a death knell for the Jedi Order. They just don't know it yet because. Uh, People like him would have been able to adapt, I think, easier to defeat Palpatine. Um, but we will never know for sure, will we? No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is what is the next thing you wanted to mention? Um, the next thing I want to mention, and this is sort of uh, stepping a bit out of the themes and out of the specifics of the movie. 
Uh, but The Phantom Menace is one of the movies, one of the Star Wars movies that most makes me want to play Star mm. Wars. And that's that's such a big part of why I enjoy Star Wars still to this day. And obviously play takes a different form now that I'm 33 than it did when I was 10 and the movie came out. Um, obviously there are days I wish I could still just go out and swing a lightsaber uh, around uh, in the yard, but I live in an apartment complex and that would look a little weird um, to all the people in their 60s uh, staring out of their windows down to the parking lot watching me swing a lightsaber around. Jason, um, dare to be different. It's fine. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no, the, I, I had the movie on today while I was working and it was, it was one of those things where I just found myself, you know, grinning and quoting along, uh, to different scenes for different characters. Uh, I pulled out uh, a little, the, the little Hot Wheels Naboo Starfighter and started flying it around, uh, during the space battle sequences and stuff like that, you know. This this movie makes me want to play uh, every every time I watch it, every time I listen to the music, it gets me energized. Uh, and so that that sense of of play, that sense of of well innocence, which is something that I will want to talk about later, um, <laughs> that comes along with it is uh, is infectious and it's part of what encourages me to keep that, that kid in me alive and, and, and near the surface in certain cases. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's where I want to end that thought. Um, but yeah, it, it, it always makes me want to play and anything that makes me want to play, uh, in whatever form that may take and and as i said that 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 form has has changed over the you know over 20 years since i've been watching this movie um but there's still part of me that what wishes i could just grab a lightsaber and run outside with it right now um after watching the movie so yeah definitely i love that jason that's that's so important um and absolutely love that that's on your list here uh this might be the movie that also gives me that strongest energy um, that an empire strikes back, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, what a testament to how powerful this movie is. Cause that's exactly what George wanted. I think, especially yeah. with Phantom Menace, um, he wanted to create a story that was fun that you could play along to. And uh, you know, I mean, if you, if you think back to the marketing machine, that was the star Wars in 1999, then you know, if you go to any comic shop or used toy store today, you will find an ab- abundance of Phantom Menace carded figures, mainly because they overproduced the hell out of them. <laughs> and then, yes. when the, and then when the movie kind of had mixed results, mainly among older fans who were also the collectors, right? I think, I think there was a massive amount of Star Wars action figures created for this movie for both of those audiences. I think it was for the kids to play with, but it was also with an understanding that the young people that grew up with the original trilogy are probably going to want to be collectors of these pieces right uh so mm-hmm. i think the collectors kind of fell off because they were a bunch of curmudgeons um who wrongly judged the movie and uh but the kids still wanted to play with them and uh you know 
I think that's a great testament, Jason, is this movie does it. You know, there are so many scenes in this movie to this day that also make me just want to grab my plastic Qui-Gon lightsaber and, and run out into the backyard or, you know, grab grab my three and three quarter inch mall and in uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and have them fight across something in the apartment. Right. Uh, yeah. It, there is such an element of fun in this movie um, mm-hmm. that it's extremely successful that it gives you that feeling. Uh, and that's so worth mentioning. Yeah. And just a final thought about that, that, that just came to me is that I, I think part of it, you know, not everyone's going to have that same reaction as I will. But, and I think part of it is the fact that I, you know, I latched onto this movie at such a young age, you know, it mm-hmm. came out for me at the right time. Like this was, you know, the Phantom Menace was essentially to me what the original star Wars was to so many people, uh, back in 1977. Like, obviously I, I started to, I'd seen star Wars. I'd seen the special editions. I was already a fan of the original trilogy, but my Star Wars experience just exploded and it really became sort of the, the original trilogy was also my mom's trilogy because she always wanted to share that with me. And she was, this is stuff that she'd seen before. Phantom Menace was mine. And, and I think that's part of why I have such fond uh thoughts and fond memories of this movie and why it's so easy for me to connect to that child um, when I watch this movie, because that was really one of the most defining moments for me in my early childhood. Mm. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Well, what about you? Uh, what, what's uh from the other thing. Yeah. Well, I think this, from what you insinuated, it might have to do with your last point as well, but I think this is a great segue is uh, one of the, the key elements to Phantom Menace that makes it my, one of my favorite Star Wars movies is its sense of innocence and wonder. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of put them together on purpose. Uh, there is something about Phantom Menace that conveys to me. It's, it's this story of the garden of Eden. Um, Naboo perfectly captures that in its in its imagery. Um, it's a beautiful planet uh, where the Naboo themselves kind of live in this beautiful palace that's also symbiote with with nature around it. And then, of course, you have the Gungans who live in union with with the created world as well. It, there's just something about Phantom Menace from its its entry point that all is right in the galaxy because there's something lurking to disrupt that. And, and I think Phantom Menace is just such a perfect movie that shows you how good things were before everything falls apart. Um, so I love it for that reason. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of that is summed up in the character of, of young Anakin. Um, and uh, I've, 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 exp- I've expressed this in the past, Jason. I, I think for me, the only major criticism I have of Phantom Menace is I still think that Anakin Skywalker should have been a young teenager instead of a nine-year-old. Um, you know, that's, that's my only – and it's not because I hate Jake Lloyd. I don't think he does anything terrible with the part. Um, he's just a little too young for me. Um, but all that aside, Anakin acts as kind of 
the microcosm of what's going on in the macrocosm. You know, he is this pure, good character who has yet to be corrupted by the darkness of the galaxy. You know, Sidious is at work, but in the shadows. Anakin mm. is literally on a planet bathed in light. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> he's destined to walk among the stars. Uh, you know, he's he is this good and pure character. Like I mentioned previous, right? The, the scene when they're having a meal together and he says, you know, I just want to help these people. That's all I want to do. Mom, you taught me this. This is this is the most this is the highest call in the galaxy is to help people in need. Um, Anakin just has a purity and a goodness to him. Um, and he kind of mirrors the goodness of the galaxy in a way at that time. Um, so I really love that. I love that Anakin is also this vessel for dreaming. You know, again, I know it kind of hit on these points a minute ago, but Anakin's ability to dream and to to look up to the stars, to think that there's something more. Shmi also embodies that in a more mature way, even. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think for Anakin, it's like, of course this is going to happen for me. Whereas Shmi is like, I don't know, but we're going to keep hoping that it will, right? Um, hers is a little right. bit of a more gritty, grounded optimism, but it's still there. Um, there is this sensibility among these characters that things will be okay. Um and and I really love that sensibility that just percolates throughout Phantom Menace. Um, and I think it, it feeds beautifully into the sense of wonder. You know, again, that's also captured in Anakin. It's also captured in Jar Jar. You know, uh, Jar Jar's, you know, excitement when he sees something new. Um, ooh, gooberfish. <laughs> um, or like, oh, more, more, more. <laughs> you know, like there is this this sense of wide eyedness uh, of of being captured by something. And and to me, the scene that captures this most beautifully for me is their swim to Autogunga. I mean, again, talk mm. about the music. The music in that scene is absolutely perfect. Uh, John Williams has this beautiful choir taking us down into this beautiful subterranean uh, city. Um, it's absolutely breathtaking. And I think uh, that reminded me of one of my favorite elements of Star Wars is, is I want to get lost in a world that felt alien and felt wonderful. You know, again, something I think has been overall lacking in Disney Star Wars is a lot of creative, beautiful worlds. Autogunga, Naboo, like these places are absolutely gorgeous and they just fill you with this sense of wonder. Um, so, and, and out of that wonder, Phantom Menace is the type of story that makes me think anything is possible. You know, uh, funny enough, one of my favorite lines in Phantom Menace comes from Newt Gunray. Um, this is impossible. <laughs> you know, uh, when, when Qui-Gon's cutting through the, through the blast doors there on the, the Federation, uh, hangar ship, you know, Phantom Menace is a story that tells you nothing is impossible. Um, so I just, I just love that sense of optimism and, uh, and goodness that, that is, that is the Phantom Menace. Absolutely. Yeah. Now this is, this is the last point I wanted to make is the, the innocence of the Phantom Menace. And this is something that we have discussed before on the show, but it, it is worth talking about again, because it is something that definitely permeates the entire movie obviously there's 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 darkness and there's corruption lurking in the shadows and and there's things that are are set up in the phantom menace that you know make way for for the tragedy of the prequels to happen however 
that's not the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie deals with uh, characters, as you said, like Anakin, like Jar Jar, who are filled with with innocence and wonder. Um, you know, you, the the scene that grabbed me this time, uh, watching it today, uh, when in terms of, of this sensibility was their arrival to Coruscant. Uh, and there's the scene where, you know, obviously Chancellor Valorum and Palpatine meet uh, Queen Amidala, and then they start walking to the taxi to take them to Palpatine's apartments. And there's a shot as, you know, they, they're walking off where Anakin just sort of like is looking up at the skyscrapers, mm. it, mouth wide open, eyes big just like whoa <laughs> I, he's never seen something like this and you know and then since we've got the sort of extended version of this scene now in, back in the movie uh they get into the taxi and uh jar jar's just like the queen's being good the nice me stinks heavy hot and he's like loving the fact that they're getting a ride in the taxi with the queen you know in in this fancy schmancy uh, city, like Jar Jar is, has no idea what to do with himself about all this. So, like the the two of them there are just experiencing this sense of of wonder that comes from a place of innocence. Uh, and then one of the other things I noticed about uh, it, this watch through is that the innocence also uh, is found uh, in a more subtle aspect in Padme. Mm. Um, in in the way that she wants to to rule and to safeguard her people as queen, uh, her concern the entire movie is to is for the safety uh, of her people and the end to the trade federation occupation, and she goes to Coruscant with the the naive innocence that. If she goes to the Senate and makes her appeal, things will change. Uh, she gets a bit of a rude awakening and then has to make that change happen herself. But there is a purity to her motivations and an innocence to her uh, throughout most of this movie that I think is is definitely something that uh, is, is reflected, uh, as I said, in a more subtle way than someone like Anakin or Jar Jar, but it is definitely there. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I'm to say that. So, yeah. And, and the mm. galaxy, while, while it does have its rough patches, the galaxy that we, we are introduced to, um, the locales do seem to be much less corrupted and almost more pure, uh, in the Phantom Menace than they are later on in the prequels. Like Coruscant, for example, it it is shown to us uh, as a place of wonder, as a place of of you know where people could be inspired. Mm -hmm. You know, just looking at these tall spires and everything like that, and it's not oppressive. Um, whereas that changes in the way it's shot throughout the rest of the prequels. So, for sure, yeah, yeah, you know, and I think. If the if for uh, I, I want to take this a quick moment here just to to shout out s several of the folks who listen to the show because I get some really wonderful messages from people um, either DMs on Instagram or or comments on Instagram 
from folks who listen to the show when we're doing things like this and they're like, you know, such and such isn't particularly one of my favorite Star Wars movies, but I love listening to your points, right? Because y'all love this, these stories and I want to hear what you love. A quick shout out just to those folks that like, even though like it's like us talking about a movie that's not one of your favorites and you still take the time to come at this with an open mind. Um, the first thing I just want to say is like kudos to you for for being that awesome. But also secondly, like my point is to those of you who are listening to this where you're thinking to yourself, oh, Phantom Menace isn't really one of my favorite Star Wars movies, which is totally valid. And Jason, I don't think we're doing these things to ever try to change people's opinions or change their minds. No. Um, but I would say for me, like, you know, as we kind of just like really sink our teeth into this this particular thematic element of Phantom Menace, Jason, I would say to folks like Phantom Menace to me is, you know, and, and especially if you're familiar with the ring cycle that George employed while doing the six stories, Phantom Menace is kind of the uh, the accompaniment to Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi is ending on this beautiful forest planet where everything gets restored to goodness. Phantom Menace is where it all started. So if you don't, I mean, I can understand not necessarily loving the execution of episode one, right? Maybe Jar Jar is just not for you. Maybe the silliness just isn't for you. And that's totally valid. But I think just thematically what this movie does try to just kick the story off. It's episode one, right? All the taglines leading up to the release of the movie was every legend has a beginning, right? This is all about, this is Genesis 1-1, right? This is the beginning. <laughs> In the beginning was the Phantom Menace and it was good, right? Like I think, I think it's trying to establish that around our galaxy because when we, you know, if, if your introduction to Star Wars, which a lot of fans it was, was, uh, you know, the original trilogy with A New Hope, we're thrust into a civil war. We're thrust into disruption and, and the chaos of trying to uh, overthrow a tyrannical empire. But if you start at the beginning of the story, it is trying to just sh- simply say everything was good and everything was okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, before the Phantom Menace swept in on his chandelier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The Phantom Menace Pairing the Phantom Menace with Return of the Jedi really makes Star Wars a fairy tale. Mm. Uh, Phantom Menace is once upon a time. Return of the Jedi is happily ever after. Everything else happens between that. Uh, But the Phantom Menace really does give us sort of the the most explicit sort of fairy tale ideas, I think. And that's part of the innocence factor of it is, you know, there is sort of an innocence to a fairy tale, even though terrible, horrible things happen to people and and things in fairy tales, depending on which ones you're reading. Um, But there is sort of an innocence to a fairy tale. Uh, And and I think the Phantom Menace is is most explicitly sort of following that that line of 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 a fairy tale Mm. uh, in many regards. So. For sure. Yeah. Once upon a time, there was a boy. There was a queen. There was the Jedi. Yeah. There was the Phantom Menace. Right. So. Right. Yeah. It's so so good. Um. Well, the last thing I'll close this out with, and I I, I imagine this is it, wherever you land with Phantom Menace is a, a beloved Star Wars movie or a not so loved Star Wars movie. I think we for the most part, as a collective fandom can agree that Duel of the Fates whips, to use young people language. It is absolutely savage. It's so good. Uh, Duel of the Fates is definitely the main reason I love Episode One: The Phantom Menace. It is the coolest lightsaber duel I have ever seen. 
Um, is it highly choreographed? Maybe too choreographed? Sure, whatever. I don't care. It's freaking perfect. I almost said the F word, and I don't even care. <laughs> I know we're a family-friendly <laughs> show, but that's how damn good it is. <laughs> um, but uh, I just love Duel of the Fates. Um, and from the, the that first exposure to it in 1999 as a 13-year-old kid um, to now, it's just... It just grabs me every time. It's such a good fight sequence. And I love that George was so intentional with this and the fact that I want this fight to be awesome. I want it to be epic. I want this is and you know, when George talks about it, he's like, this is kind of the prime of the Jedi, their fighting style. It's an art form. You know, it's an expression of self. It's an expression of their connection to the force. I want it to look beautiful and it looks beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I saw this movie in theaters the first time it was, and again, yes, I was only 13. So it's not like I'd seen a a tremendous amount of movies. Um, but it was the first time. And to be fair, still in my entire 37 years of living, one of the few rare times in a movie theater where I got chills, like I could actually feel the hairs on my neck standing up when that fight kicks off, when that duel begins, I just feel transported into like an ethereal plane, just watching this epic struggle. And right, like you mentioned earlier with the music itself, the, the title track duel of the face, uh, it's exactly that. It is this, it is just this pinnacle uh, fairy tale battle of good versus evil. Um, and uh, Dave Filoni and, and randomly enough, and one of the behind the scenes things for the Mandalorian kind of goes on this tangent about why this particular fight is so important and why it's in fact the duel of the fates. Let's give this a quick listen. What is about what Dave says about duel of the fates? What's at stake is really how Anakin's going to turn out because Qui-Gon is different than the rest of the Jedi. And you get that in the movie and Qui-Gon is fighting because he knows he's the father that Anakin needs because Qui-Gon hasn't given up on the fact that Jedi are supposed to actually care and, and love and that that's not a bad thing. The rest of the Jedi are so detached and they've become so political that they've really lost their way. Mm-hmm. And Yoda starts to see that in the second film. But Qui-Gon is ahead of them all. And that's why he's not part of the council. So he's fighting for Anakin. And that's why it's the duel of the fates. It's the fate of this child. And depending on how this fight goes, Anakin is going to, his life is going to be dramatically different. So Qui-Gon loses, of course. Um, just, it's, <laughs> I remember when I saw that for the first time, like, again, on a Mandalorian behind the scenes thing, I'm just like, what a random conversation to be having. This is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and he, the, the, the wonderful thing about that is he's, he goes on this whole dissertation about the Duel of the Fates. And ties it back into something that they were talking about later on. But the, everyone in the circle is just enraptured by his conversation, by, by his discussion. Like it, it captures everyone's attention, and they all at the end of it go, "Wow, that's really <laughs> yeah. good." Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Which um, is true. It's really good, and he's right. Yeah, and right. I'll, I before Dave Filoni made that comment, I never partic- I just never saw it that way. Um, but it's absolutely right. You know, it's, it is, it's a both and just like Phantom Menace is with Anakin and the galaxy at large, right? Anakin's story is the microcosm to the macro of what's going on in the galaxy. And that duel of the fates is both. And it's, it is like Dave says, it's the fate of Anakin is at stake here because if Qui-Gon falls, Anakin falls into the dogmatic hands of the Jedi. Um, 
And uh, so it is his fate. And by and large, then, by extension, the fate of the galaxy. Um, so, yeah, it just... Um, so I, I wanted to play that because I think it is important that, that, that it's, it's more than just the excitement of a cool lightsaber fight, but it's also just a really cool lightsaber fight. And that's also (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah. I was, Um, I was waiting for that. (laughs) Yeah. It's both. And it's, it, it's, Mm -hmm. it's both the lasers and the meaning, (laughs) you know? Um, absolutely. So duel of the fates and, and, and. It kind of captures that the thing that you said you also love about this movie, Jason, is, is it just the way it inspires a playfulness in you. Duel of the Fates, definitely, every time I watch that scene, like, I have to reenact at least part of it. <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's just in my soul. Um, I absolutely love this fight sequence so much. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the that's probably going to always be the main thing I love about this movie. Um, and it, and it's what next week when we get to our final, our, our combined favorite Star Wars movie, Jason, and, and talk about that particular movie. Um, I think the biggest thing that separates these two movies is the fact that Duel of the Fates exists in this one. Um, and it just, it gives it such an edge that I, I, I just go back and forth between this and our next one. So, but yeah, I love Duel of the Fates. Yeah, that's. That is 100% fair. And Duel of the Fates is such a great a great way to, you know, end this conversation because it is so cool. It is so, like, not only is it cool, not only does it have, you know, such deeper meanings if you want to look beyond it, you know, in terms of, of Anakin's future, uh, as Dave Filoni was saying, uh, it's also really the first confrontation uh, of of light versus dark in a millennia, mm. if you you know, according to you know, Kiari Mundi, you know the Sith have been extinct for a millennia. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the first uh, real. I do conflict. not believe the Sith could have returned without us knowing. <laughs> <laughs> ah, hard to see the dark side is uh, <laughs> because dark it is. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it it works on so many multiple levels. Uh, if you want to, if you want to find meaning in it, there is meaning to be found. Mm. But by God, it's dressed up in some of the coolest characters and action sequences and set pieces in Star Wars. So uh, and there's no getting around that. So it, yeah, it's. <laughs> it's just spectacular from top to bottom and yeah. there's nothing wrong with loving it for the eye candy that it is. Right. <laughs> well, earlier this year, Jason, you and I had a short stint where we were playing battlefront two a little bit, you know, we'd hop online and play mm-hmm. for maybe an hour or so. And whenever we would do the heroes mode, we tried so hard to get the feed palace because it's so fun yes. to get to duel in there. And we so rarely got it, which was so infuriating, but right. Like if I'm going to have a lightsaber duel, I want it to be here. Cause it's just so cool with the power generators around you. And yeah, like yes. you, you feel like you're in the Phantom Menace. Absolutely. Yeah. No best map in, in hero mode on battlefront two, 100%. Yeah. Um, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, no, I, I think that's great, and I, I'm 100% uh, in favor of of this being the final thing that we discuss here on on why we love the Phantom Menace because it's it is the most iconic thing from this movie. Uh, yes, no and, question. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's it, iconic enough to stand 
on its own and stand with the other iconic moments in Star Wars, like the binary sunset and what have you. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I love it. It's I so love good. it. Um, well, as always, folks, there you go. There's there's another Star Wars movie we love, and and some of the things that uh, that would give us reason to. Um, and we're we're one episode away now, Jason, from finishing up our Why We Love series. So so excited to next week get to episode 499 uh talk about again our combined favorite star wars movie uh to usher mm-hmm. in our 500th episode in just two weeks uh you know and and as we kind of sign off here it's the end of a basically coming to the end of 2022 our next episode will be in the new year jason um and uh just just want to again say thank you to all of you who listen to us whether this was your first time listening to the show or it's your 497th time uh 498th whatever uh we just really appreciate you we really appreciate all the ways folks have engaged with us uh this past year um it you all make the the show more fun the more you all reach out and share what it is that you're excited about with star Wars or how the show gets you excited about star Wars. That means so much to us. And even if, even if I don't get back to you right away, please know that those, those messages are read and, 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 and feel really, really good. Um, I was doing some of the wrap up number type stuff, uh, with iTunes a couple of weeks back. And I haven't, I haven't looked at like the reviews in iTunes in a long time. And we, we don't get that many anymore. We had a really, really mean one back in, I think October. I mean, I didn't notice it until like a few weeks ago. Uh, and you know, that that's going to happen. That's going to happen when you put yourself out there. And usually what people just don't like is their criticisms are fair. You know, they, they, it, I don't need to go into why people criticisms are criticisms, but what I loved is we also got a really, really nice one <laughs> that basically said, listen, Carl and Jason put themselves out there week after week talking about what they love about star Wars, making things personal for themselves. That takes guts. And I was like, you know what? I should have looked up who wrote that one. Cause I should have given you a specific shout out because that just, that made me feel like a million bucks. So thank you to whomever wrote that. Um, but, uh, all that to say, uh, if you're in the show and you're enjoying it, we love to hear about that. It, it means a lot. Um, whether you listen, and if you listen to us on iTunes, if you listen to us on Spotify, you know, leave us a review if you don't mind, or even just rate the show. It does, it does help. I always forget. We used to mention this all the time, Jason. We just don't talk about it anymore. But if you like the show, right. just just dropping a you know a, a a starred rating just helps the show's visibility. Um, we know that there are hundreds of wonderful Star Wars shows out there at this point. Um, so as always, we're humbled that you choose to listen to us, and, and we appreciate it so much. Absolutely, definitely, and 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 you know, as we as we wrap up 2022 and start looking forward to 2023, uh, you know, we thank you for for you know being with us this year, and we look forward to to seeing you back again uh, in the new year. Uh, we hope that you all have a very very you know, you had a wonderful Christmas if you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah, and we hope that you have a fantastic new year and. Uh, have some has some great goals and resolutions in mind moving forward. So, uh, Carl, if people yeah. want to weigh in on why they love <laughs> Phantom Menace, where can people do that? Uh, well, they can let us know over on uh, Instagram at the Wampus Lair. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wampus Lair, and you can always shoot us an email at wampuslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. And uh, is there anything else before we close down this episode, Carl? No, I'm just going to, you know, rock out a bit to Augie's Great Municipal Band. 
Well, I, I've got my, my baton and I'm marching down the parade grounds. <laughs> Thank you everyone so much for listening to episode 498 of the Wampus Lair podcast, Why We Love the Phantom Menace. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. <laughs>